Modern-day people think that the divine right of kings to rule idea is an old, outdated, antiquated concept no longer in use. This couldn't be further from the truth. In this episode, we'll see that the divine right of kings to rule concept is very much alive and thriving, as well as we'll look into the authority by which the elite believe that they have been given this divine right to rule. There are those that consider themselves the elite families of the earth. Today, they trace their bloodlines going back to the ancient past, before Alexander, before the great African kings and the pharaohs of Egypt, Ramses II, first, Tutmose IV, Amenhotep III, second and first, past the kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar IV, all the way back to ancient Sumer and the Sumerian kings list, where the great culture heroes of old, accredited with civilizing mankind, were either the gods or the demigods, semi-divine or quasi-divine creatures of ancient Sumer, like the Anunnaki or the Apkalu, the seven sages that were said to have founded the seven ancient cities of Eridu, Ur, Nippur, Kalub, Kesh, Lagash, and Shurapak, either mated with human women to produce the next god-king or taught mankind the secrets of creation and civilization. Today, the divine right of kings to rule in European history was a political doctrine in defense of what was known as monarchical absolutism. What is monarchical absolutism? Well, before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic, but follow us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like our videos and subscribe to our channel. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash theiconicpodcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also support us by going to the Iconic label and purchasing a hat, a hoodie, or some gear. Now let's get back to it. What was the divine right of kings to rule, or what is known as monarchical absolutism? Well, this was the idea that the king's authority to rule was given to him from the gods, or in the ancient sages through rites and rituals. And because of this sacred status, he cannot be held accountable for his actions either by earthly authorities or parliaments. Families that trace their lineages back to the ancient past say that the great civilizers of men passed down some secret occult knowledge and that they were esteemed to be selected as rulers over those civilizations. This occult knowledge is passed down generationally along with the priesthood and a kingship by bloodlines, secret societies, secret rites, and initiation. You read ideas like this with the 33rd Grand Sovereign Commander Albert Pike. When speaking about the mysteries and morals and dogma, he'll say something like, The Holy Kabbalah, or the tradition of the children of Seth, was carried from Chaldea by Abraham, taught to the Egyptian priesthood by Joseph, recovered and purified by Moses, concealed under the symbols in the Bible, revealed by the Savior to St. John, and contained in entire under the hieratic figures analogous to those of all antiquity and the apocalypse of the apostle. Or as Gary H. Cobb puts it in En Route to Global Occupation, page 74, he says, All the ancient mysteries, for example, had an occult priesthood which ruled the country and the empire in association with an appointed priest-king. In order to enter the priesthood, one always had to go through a series of secret occult rituals and initiations. Or as Fritz Springmeier in Bloodlines of the Illuminati puts it on page 2, Long ago, in the dark, unwritten pages of human history, powerful kings discovered how that they can control other men by torture, magical practices, wars, politics, religion, and interest-taking. These elite families designed strategies and tactics to perpetuate their occult practices. 
Layers upon layers of secrecy have hidden these families from the profane masses, but many an author has touched upon their existence. He continues and says, One bloodline was Egyptian, Celtic, Druidic, from which Druidism was developed. One bloodline was in the Orient and developed Oriental magic. One lineage was from Cana and the Canaanites. And again, page three, the mystery religions each had their secret councils, which ruled them. And these councils themselves came under the guidance of secret supreme grand council or governing body. The mystery religions in turn ruled the masses and the political leaders. Are the adepts and sages of today still in contact with these gods or superior intelligence who work through world leaders in the spirit world of higher planes of existence? Well, yes, according to Manley P. Hall. In his book, The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, page 18, in Freemasonry is concealed the mysteries of the creation, the answer to the problem of existence and the path the student must tread in order to join those who are really living powers behind the thrones of modern national and international affairs. On page 57, he says, the master Mason, if he be truly a master, is in communication with these unseen powers that move the destinies of life. Or as Walter Leslie Wilmhurst puts it in the Masonic Initiation, page 87, he says, yet in the actual experience of the soul architecture, initiation succeeds initiation upon increasingly higher levels of the ladder as an individual becomes correspondingly ripe for them, able to bear their strain and to assimilate their revelations. Or as Manly P. Hall says again in What the Ancient Wisdom Expects of His Disciples, page 22, he says, For the purpose of disseminating this wisdom wisely among all the nations of the earth, the schools of the ancient mysteries have been established, not by the will of men, but by the will of the gods themselves, laboring through channels chosen from the most highly evolved children of the earth. Having established these schools, these superior intelligences become the central invisible powers of these schools and are still in actual communication with the adepts and masters who at the present time manipulate the destinies of the secret orders. Further down, he says, these seven schools together with their branches in all parts of the earth constitute the great white lodge. This is the divine institution appointed to give the ancient wisdom to our planet. It is composed of all the initiates and adepts of the white path and forms the invisible government of the earth. So let's do a quick summary of what we have thus far. We have a divine right of kings to rule based on some secret occult knowledge passed down from the ancient civilizations by gods or demigods or semi-divine beings that civilizes, educates, and enlightens mankind and is taught to adepts and sages who represent an occult priesthood who founded the mystery schools preserving this ancient occult knowledge who then, by rituals and rites, initiate those proven worthy of a particular bloodline to become the next leader, ruler, king, emperor, of which they are still in contact with these supernatural intelligences on other planes of existence that govern this world as an invisible government through their initiates. Got it. Okay. Preservation of the bloodlines then seems to be an important task to make the whole system work. And so which bloodlines are they talking about? Well, before we get into that, Make sure to stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash theiconicpodcast and making a monthly pledge. You can also support us by going to theiconiclabel.com and purchasing a hat, a hoodie, or a t-shirt. Now let's get back to it. So preservation of these bloodlines seems to be an important task to make this entire system work. So which bloodlines are we talking about exactly? Bloodlines of the Illuminati was republished in a three-volume set 
Volume 1 has the first eight of the 13 top Illuminati bloodlines. The Astor family, the Bundy family, the Collins, DuPont, Freeman, Kennedy, Lee, and Onassis. Volume 2 has the remaining five of the 13 top Illuminati bloodlines. Rockefeller, Rothschild, Russell, Van Duyen, and Merovingian. Volume 3 has the four other prominent Illuminati bloodlines. Disney, Reynolds, McDonald, and the Krupps. So what do we have so far? So we get this idea of ancient bloodlines tied to some special occult knowledge, handed down to some priesthood by either supernatural beings, quasi-supernatural beings, before some catastrophic flood period, and sages that civilize mankind, making those that receive the ancient occult knowledge rulers. For millennia, these kings, queens, pharaohs, emperors have interbred to preserve and perpetuate their bloodlines of ancient Sumer and Babylon, now Iraq, Egypt, were expanded into Europe and became the royal and aristocratic families that ruled through the British Empire and those of France, Belgium, and the Netherlands, Germany. And so over time, they've installed puppet world rulers, concealed their true identities, and they rule in the background so that no one would ever really know who runs the world. As a matter of fact, their rule would be dispersed so widely, it would be difficult to conceive that there's such a small select group ruling the world through their perceived divine right. They realize that nations will come and go, that empires will rise and fall, and that the golden ages of human achievement would be succeeded by the dark ages of foolishness and superstition. And so to answer the question of what is the New World Order really, well, it's a synthesis of the divine right of kings to rule, a systematic plan to keep the ancient bloodlines intact, maintenance of the secret occult knowledge passed down by rites and rituals, the building of an illuminated society worthy to live in this new system, a worldwide social system completely controlled by these self-anointed elite. The elite claim to be in touch with these originators of this ancient occult knowledge. These originators of this ancient occult knowledge is on another plane of existence and are referred to as the hierarchy. The hierarchy will reveal themselves when the time is right, and those who are working toward these goals are called global world servers, as we shall see. Well, who are these people, really? Well, they're survivors of empires past, made up of super merchant families, barbarian kings, banking families established during the Middle Ages, and royal family bloodlines traced forward through time from ancient Babylon, through medieval history to Rome, modern Europe, North America, and now worldwide. And so you get these proposed bloodlines like the Astor family, the Collins family, DuPont, Freeman, Kennedy, Lee, Onassis, Rockefeller, Rothschild, Russell, Van Duyen, and Merovingian. And so you get the corrected names, Bruce, Cavendish, Demitzi, Hanover, Hosberg, Krupps, Planigier, Rockefeller, Romanov, St. Clair, Warburg, Windsor. And then we have the Ptolemaic or the Papal bloodlines, Orsini, Aldo Brandini, Breakspear, Somalia, Farnese, and then there's other Saturnalia bloodlines, or the 13 Zoroastrian bloodlines, the House of Borgia, Breakspear, Somalia, etc., etc. The family aspect, though, is nowhere close to being the whole enchilada. Because though there are powerful, wealthy families, their power and influence pales in comparison to those who believe that they harbor the ancient occult knowledge. And those that have control, not only over these families, but over the occult knowledge, the secret society superstructure, the caretakers of the ancient occult priesthood, but who have power to initiate new candidates worthy to partake in what they call, well, the great work, or the order of the quest, or the great plan, in building this new enlightened world. And so what is the real deal behind the scenes? The real deal behind the scenes seems to be a global system structured to keep the divine right of kings to rule intact, 
while being caretakers of the ancient occult knowledge of the mystery religions of old. And unfortunately for us, we're not too high on the organizational chart in this plan. We are considered the useless eaters, the virus infecting this planet, roadblocks to progress and ultimate destiny of the enlightened ones relegated to serfdom in service of our earthly rulers. And so behind the apparent randomness of the world's events has been this ancient occult network. The network is controlled by ancient interbreeding bloodlines and their offshoots headed by the 13 families. To preserve the ancient knowledge of the mystery religions, the arcane mystery schools were formed to pass down this information. This knowledge is both preserved and reserved only for those who prove themselves worthy and so are hidden behind various rites and rituals. And a society must emerge trained in this ancient occult knowledge that will be the final enlightened society worthy to live on this earth in this new age that's being erected. This is why all the quotes have the word new as a prefix for what they do. This is the new order of the ages, a new societal structuring. This is the new world economic order and economic restructuring. This is the new world order or world government restructuring or the new age movement or the world religion restructuring. Those that are the enlightened will not have the divine right of kings to rule themselves, but merely to be ruled by the elite who have been ruling in the background by this sacred occult knowledge. This is why numerology is so important to them. In keeping with the great plan, events have to be carried out in specific time frames, honoring this ancient occult knowledge and provided by the hierarchy. And so this is why you see certain important events are timed with precision to certain astrological signs, numerological signs, based on specific dates at certain latitudes and longitudes using certain magical numbers or a repeat of certain numbers like 3, 6, 11, 13, 32, 33, 36, 39 that you'll all see in the media. As W. Wynne Westcott in his book, The Occult Power of Numbers, he says, numbers are the key to the ancient views of cosmogony spirituality, as well as physically. To the evolution of the present human race, all systems of religious mysticism are based upon numerals. The numbers 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, and 33, and all multiples of them have esoteric meaning and are used in a variety of ways. They are geometrically encoded in brand names and encrypted in corporate logos. They are used as numbers of councilmen, signatories, and important documents. Once you're aware of the numerology involved, you literally see it everywhere and in every significant event and wonder, why haven't I seen this before? So remember our list, divine right of kings to rule, a systematic plan to keep the ancient bloodlines intact, maintenance of secret occult knowledge passed down by rites and rituals, and by doing so, building an illuminated society who is worthy to live in that system. And in that system, people are completely controlled by these self-anointed elite who claim to be in touch with the originators of the ancient occult knowledge, guiding them from another plane of existence. Prepare a society worthy of their manifestation of the hierarchy. And so Alice A. Bailey puts it in the 24 books of esoteric philosophy produced by Lucius Truss and the externalization of the hierarchy. She says on page 17, the time has now come when there are enough people to be found who, having themselves made the religious and mental approaches to truth, definite factors in their consciousness in some small measure, and having established enough soul contact so that they can begin to touch the world of ideas upon the intuitional levels of consciousness, can employ a new technique. Enough soul contact to do what exactly? Well, together and as a group, they can become sensitive to the incoming new ideas 
which it is intended should condition the new age that is upon us. Hmm. What does this conditioning do? Well, together and as a group, they can establish the ideals and develop the techniques and methods of the new schools of thought, which will determine the new culture. Hmm. And so what does this new culture look like? Well, together and as a group, they can bring these ideas and ideals into a consciousness of the masses so that the schools of thought and the world's religions can be blended into one. Okay, so, so far we have enough souls that can condition us to bring about a new culture that all religions can be blended together into one. To do what exactly? And the new civilization can emerge. Okay, so for the new civilization to emerge, this enlightened society which produces a new culture, and this new civilization will do what? Well, it will produce the mental and emotional fusion of the techniques of the Piscean Age. And it will thus produce an eventual manifestation upon the physical plane of the plan of God for the immediate future. Well, this is interesting. Which God would she be referring to in this plan that they're trying to bring into this physical plane of existence? Well, spoiler alert, the God that she's referring to would be Lucifer, as we'll find out shortly. After her writings are published by Lucius Trust, she says on page three, a third factor is as follows. It has been known from a long time by the mystics of all the world religions and by the esoteric students everywhere that certain members of the planetary hierarchy are approaching closer to the earth at this time. Are these the same guys that Manly P. Hall earlier said who rule the world from behind the scenes and whom they are still in contact with today? The answer is yes. According to Manly P. Hall, the Lost Keys of Freemasonry, page 18, to join those who are really living powers behind the thrones of modern national and international affairs, page 57 says, the master mason, if he be truly a master, is in communication with the unseen powers that move the destinies of life. Or as he says in What the Ancient Wisdom Expects of His Disciples, page 22, the schools of the ancient mysteries have been established, not by the will of man, but by the gods themselves, laboring through channels chosen from the most highly evolved of the children of earth. Having established these schools, these superior intelligences become the central invisible powers of these schools and are still in actual communication with the adepts and masters who at the present time manipulate the destinies of these secret orders. Further down, he says, these seven schools together with their branches in all parts of the earth constitute the Great White Lodge. This is the divine institution appointed to give the ancient wisdom to our planet. It is composed of all the initiates and adepts of the white path and forms the invisible government of the earth. Well, what is the hierarchy? Well, before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic, but follow us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash the iconic podcast and making a monthly pledge. You can also go to theiconiclabel.com and purchase a hat, a hoodie, or a t-shirt. Now let's get back to business. The hierarchy is a name covering the working disciples of all degrees. And it has for hundreds of generations sought to aid humanity and since the 15th century has steadily approached closer to the physical plane and sought to make a deeper impact on the human consciousness. As Manly P. Hall, 33rd degree Freemason, a renowned expert on the subject, wrote in his book, The Secret Destiny of America, he says, For more than 3,000 years, secret societies have labored to create the background knowledge necessary to the establishment of the enlightened democracy among the nations of the world. Now, we have to understand that Manly is speaking Masonically, because the enlightened democracy that he's referring to 
are the high-ranking initiates of Freemasonry. So it's a Freemasonic democracy. A democracy among Masons is what he's really talking about. And so all have continued and they will exist as the order of the quest. He says, men bound by a secret oath to labor in the cause of a world democracy decided that in the American colonies, they would plan the roots of a new way of life. The order of the quest was set up in America before the middle of the 17th century. Franklin spoke about the order of the quest, and most of the men who worked with him in the early days of American Republic were also members. Well, members of what exactly? He continues, not only were the many of the founders of the United States government Masons, but they received aid from a secret and august body existing in Europe, which helped them to establish this country for a particular purpose known only to an initiated few. Note this secret august body will come up later in another quote. It refers to a fraternity of Masons throughout Europe. David Ovason in his book, The Secret Architecture of Our Nation's Capital, page 75, says, The very struggle for independence seems to have been directed by the Masonic Brotherhood, and some historians insist has even been started by them. Ralph Epperson, in his book, The New World Order, page 146, says, the Supreme Council of the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry has told the student that 13 of the 39 original signers of the Constitution were Masons. It's also interesting to note that there were 39 signers exactly three times the Masonic number 13. So if you look at America today, you have all the Masonic architectures. David Ovason in his book, Secret Architecture of the Nation's Capital, page 124, says... In the years following the revolution, the Masonic fraternities held ceremonial layings for such new enterprises as bridges, locks, universities, governmental buildings, state houses, memorials, and even churches. Some buildings were aligned with the stars and with the spiritual beings who ruled the stars. Jim Mars in Rule by Secrecy, page 242, says the ongoing connective tissue between the modern and ancient secret societies has been Freemasonry, which existed as a formidable force long before certain lodges became illuminized. During the late Middle Ages, when opposition to the Holy Roman Universal Catholic Church were forced deep underground, the only organized groups able to move freely throughout Europe were the guilds of stonemasons, who maintained meeting halls and lodges in every major city. The masons, who traced their own secret knowledge of architecture and building back to Egypt and beyond, were essential in the construction of Europe's churches and cathedrals. David Icke, in his book Tales from the Time Loop, says, If it really is the land of the free, and if, as it is claimed, anyone can really become the president, you would fairly expect that 43 presidents, from George Washington to George Bush, would express that genetic diversity. You're having a laugh? The presidents of the United States are as much royal dynasty as anything in Europe from whence their bloodlines came. Placing bloodline members on both sides of the American political system, the old families have guaranteed their right to the throne under the guise of democratic elections. David Icke provides a good summary in his book Tales from the Time Loop. He says, the divine right is simply the right to rule by DNA. We have a head of state in Britain to this day who is only there because of her DNA that the whole freeloading hierarchy of royal family is structured according to a person's DNA relationship to the king or to the queen. He continues, the divine right to rule has nothing to do with divine and everything to do with the real origin of these bloodlines. They claim to descend from the gods of the ancient world. He says, the royal families have interbred incessantly with each other since ancient times because they are seeking to retain the DNA corruption that can apparently be quickly diluted by breeding outside of itself. 
How interesting that the families of the power elite do the same today. He continues, They are the same bloodlines, the royal divine bloodlines of ancient Sumer and Babylon. Now Iraq, Egypt, and the Indus Valley, and elsewhere expanded into Europe to become the royal and aristocratic families that ruled that continent and most of the world throughout the British Empire and those of France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, and so on. Down further, he says, as the people began to challenge and reject the open dictatorship of royal rule, the bloodlines began to move underground by operating among the population in all areas that control modern society. He also mentions that through the centuries, they have been working constantly to centralize global power and complete their great work, global dictatorship. This story is not a Masonic story, though masonry plays a large role. Today, there is an ancient occult knowledge passed down from ancient Sumer, Babylon, and Egypt, perpetuated by secret societies, as Manly P. Hall noted, that go back to the Gnostics, the Kabbalists, the Cathars, Knights Templar, Hermeticists, Rosicrucians, the Illuminati, Freemasonry, and the Jesuits. It's regulated by various rites and rituals, concealed in secrecy, veiled in allegory, and hidden in plain sight by various symbols, which is why you see the symbology everywhere today and throughout history. As 33rd degree Albert Pike puts it in Morals and Dogma, page 534, he says, the symbols of the wise always become the idols of the ignorant multitude. What the chiefs of the order really believed and taught is indicated to the adepts by the hints contained in the high degrees of Freemasonry and by the symbols which only the adepts understand. Are the uninitiated public at large or masons of low degrees expected to understand them? Well, let's let Pike continue. All the blue degrees are but the outer court of the portico of the temple. Part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiate, but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. It is not intended that he should understand them, but it is intended that he should imagine he understands them. Their true explication is reserved for the adepts, the princes of masonry. The whole body of the royal and sacerdotal art was hidden so carefully centuries since in the high degrees as that it is even yet impossible to solve many of the enigmas which they contain. It is well enough for the masses of those called masons to imagine that all of it is contained in the blue degrees. And whosoever attempts to undeceive them will labor in vain and without any true reward violate his obligations as an adept. Or as Manly P. Hall puts it in The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, he says, The initiated brother realizes that his so-called symbols and rituals are merely blinds, fabricated by the wise to perpetuate ideas incomprehensible to the average individual. He also realizes that few Masons of today know or appreciate the mystic meaning concealed within these rituals. So what is the secret knowledge that needs to be so carefully concealed? Well, the secret knowledge or the search for the lost word of masonry or the secret doctrine of the legend of the third degree. This is the most important and significant of the legendary symbols of Freemasonry. It is to convey the idea that mankind can achieve godhood and thereby it eternal life through his own effort, albeit as an ascended master or reaching cosmic Christ consciousness, which gets us into this idea of the New Age movement and ideas of transhumanism, transcendentalism, or being reincarnated as a higher self. Caretakers of the secret knowledge are the adepts, the sages, and with it, those who believe it, it gives them the divine right of kings to rule over the less important, unenlightened cattle and the useless eaters that make up the bulk of the human population, consuming resources, living longer, benefiting from technologies, 
growing exponentially larger, consuming ever-diminishing resources. This is why the world population numbers need to be reduced, and thus a depopulation agenda is being developed. Inherent in the New World Order is this idea of a two-doctrine policy, essential to the success of all these orders throughout history. What is the two-doctrine policy? Before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and like our videos. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash theiconicpodcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also go to theiconiclabel.com and purchase a hat, a hoodie, or a t-shirt. Now let's get back to it. What is the two-doctrine policy? Well, the two-doctrine policy is the idea of holding two doctrines simultaneously to mislead and misdirect so that the true aims and ambitions remain concealed. You hold two beliefs, one revealed and one concealed, one esoteric or inner core beliefs and actions, the other exoteric or outward pretended beliefs and actions. One set of beliefs for the inner circle and another set for the masses. This plays out in certain initiation, rites, and rituals. What you're allowed to know is based on whether you're initiated or uninitiated. As Albert Pike in Morals and Dogma puts it, he says, the Templars, like all secret orders and associations, had two doctrines, one concealed and reserved for the masters, which was Johannism, and the other public, which was Roman Catholic. Thus, they deceived the adversaries whom they sought to supplant. They also adopted St. John the Evangelist as one of its patrons associated with him in order to not arouse the suspicions of Rome. St. John the Baptist, and thus covertly proclaiming itself the child of the Kabbalah and Essenism together. Or as Jim Mars in his book, Rule by Secrecy, puts it, he says, There's always existed an external elementary popular doctrine, which has served for the instruction of the masses who are insufficiently prepared for deeper teaching. There has been an interior advanced doctrine, a more secret knowledge, which has been reserved for the riper minds and into which only proficient and properly prepared candidates who voluntarily sought to participate in it were initiated. Or as Charles Berger put it in Our Phallic Heritage, he says, Thus symbols came to have two meanings, the esoteric and the exoteric. The esoteric meaning was the true original meaning, understood by only a few and closely guarded by them. The exoteric meaning was invented or modified explanation intended for the many. The sacred mysteries, which are often mentioned in connection with many ancient religions in which were closely guarded by the initiate, concealed the esoteric meaning in the religions of previous times. Or as Manly Palmer Hall puts it, he's known as the Mason of the Century by a Scottish Rite Journal in 1990. He wrote the lectures on ancient philosophy, a companion to the secret teaching of all ages. Page 433 says, Freemasonry is a fraternity within a fraternity, an outer organization concealing an inner brotherhood of the elect. Before it is possible to intelligently discuss the origin of the craft, it is necessary to establish the existence of these two separate yet interdependent orders, the one visible, the other invisible. The visible society is a splendid camaraderie of free and accepted men enjoined to devote themselves to ethical, educational, fraternal, patriotic, and humanitarian concerns. The invisible society is a secret and most august fraternity whose members are dedicated to the service of the mysterious Arcanum Arcanorum. What is the Arcanum Arcanorum? 
Before we get into that, stay up to date with everything Iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and like our videos. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the Iconic Podcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also go to the iconiclabel.com and purchase a hoodie, a hat, or a t-shirt. So let's get back to it. What is the Arcanum Arcanorum? Well, it is said to be the mystery of mysteries, specifically the one ultimate secret supposed to lie behind all astrology, alchemy, and magic. In En Route to Global Occupation by Gary H. Kai quotes Albert Pike in Morals and Dogma, page 107, and says, The initiates, in fact, thought in the 18th century that their time had arrived, some to found a new hierarchy, others to overturn all authority and to press down all the social order under the level of equality. Toward this end, a new ultra-secret society was formed, enlisting in its ranks members from the highest degrees of the Masonic order. This order within an order would come to be known as the Illuminati. Or in Morals and Dogma, where Pike says, Masonry, like all the religions, all the mysteries, hermeticism, and alchemy, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages, or the elect, and uses false explanations and misrepresentations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled, to conceal the truth, which it calls light, from them and to draw them away from it. Truth is not for those who are unworthy or unable to receive it or would pervert it. On page 132, he says, The Holy Kabbalah, or the tradition of the children of Seth, was carried from Chaldea by Abraham, taught to the Egyptian priesthood by Joseph, recovered and purified by Moses, concealed under symbols in the Bible, revealed by the Savior to St. John, and contained entire in heretic figures analogous to those of all antiquity and the apocalypse of that apostle. Manly P. Hall in The Secret Teaching of All Ages puts it on page 763, says the arcana of the ancient mysteries was never revealed to the profane except through the media of symbols. Symbolism fulfilled the dual office of concealing the sacred truths from the uninitiated and revealing them to those qualified to understand the symbols. Forms are the symbols of the formless, divine principle. Symbolism is the language of nature. With reverence, the wise pierce the veil, and with clearer vision, contemplate the reality. But the ignorant, unable to distinguish between false and the true, behold a universe of symbols. Further down, he says, they realize that nations come and go, that empires rise and fall, and that the golden ages of art, science, and idealism are succeeded by the dark ages of superstition. With the needs of posterity foremost in mind, the sages of old went to inconceivable extremes to make certain that their knowledge should be preserved. They engraved it upon the face of mountains and concealed it with the measurements of colossal images, each of which was a geometric marvel. So why do this? Well, on page 142, we get the answer. So masonry jealously conceals its secrets and intentionally leads conceited interpreters astray. Page 112, because the vile multitudes are not worthy of such knowledge, it says, in fact, what can there be in common between the vile multitude and sublime wisdom? The truth must be kept secret and the masses need a teaching proportion to their imperfect reason. On page 302, he says, Therefore the sages always had an esoteric creed, taught only to the mysteries and the unknown to the vulgar. No sage in their country or in Greece or Rome believed the popular creed. To them, the gods and the idols of the gods were symbols of the great and mysterious truths. 
On page 305, he says, Before our era dispersed most of the priests in Greece and elsewhere, they bore with them their sciences, and they continued to teach enigmatically, that is to say, ever enveloped in the obscurities of fables and hieroglyphs, to the end that the vulgar heard, seeing may see nothing, and hearing might comprehend nothing. Page 638, he says, The truth was covered from the common people, as with the veil, and the mysteries were carried into every country that, without disturbing the popular beliefs, truth, the art, and the sciences may be known to those who are capable of understanding them, and that maintaining the truth doctrine incorrupt, which the people, prone to superstition and idolatry, have no age been able to do. So who is the God of those who pursue these mysteries, who perpetuate this two-doctrine policy? The outer doctrine is the God of pantheism, where the inner core doctrine is the doctrine of Luciferianism. In his book, En Route to Global Occupation, Gary H. Cobb says on page 69, the religion of the New Age, simply put, is pantheism, the belief that God is the sum of all that exists. According to the pantheists, there is no personal God. Instead, their concept of God consists of what they refer to as the God force or the life force. They teach that this energy or God force flows through all living beings, plants, animals, and human beings. Since this God force flows through all of us, they rationalize, we must therefore be gods, or at least part of God. Because of this, most pantheists will automatically support the concept of a one-world government, since global unity is essential to the proper flow of the God force. Humanity will then, presumably, take a quantum leap to a higher level of existence. The result will be that all humans will suddenly receive mystical powers to do what they could never do before. A new age of enlightenment, a new world order, will be born. So why pantheism, though? Harmonization. According to Albert Pike, as he puts it in Morals and Dogma, page 849, this is the middle ground between the two doctrines of pantheism, or that all is God, and God is in all, and is all, on the one side, and atheism, or that all is nature, and there is no other God, on the other, which doctrines, after all, when reduced to their simplest terms, seem to be the same. Because pantheism comprises all religions, they can say yes to all gods, goddesses, or no gods at all, because the use of the generic term god also can just mean the god force or the forces of nature, and so it pleases the religious and the non-religious at the same time. Back to En Route to Global Occupation by Gary H. Kahn, page 73, he states, Pantheism originated in the ancient city of Babylon in Mesopotamia, and from there it spread rapidly in all directions to cover the face of the earth. Hinduism is one of the offshoots of the original Babylonian pantheism, and Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism. All the Eastern religions of today are ultimately traceable to ancient Babylon, where the post-flood rebellion against God began. The nation of Israel was completely surrounded by these occult societies. To the west were the Egyptian mysteries, also known as the mysteries of Osiris, out of which God had delivered the Israelites. To the south were the Arabian mysteries. To the east were the Babylonian and Persian mysteries, respectively known as the mysteries of Semiramis and the Mithric mysteries, or Zoroastrianism. To the north were the Assyrian and Phoenician mysteries, including Baal worship, and later the mysteries of Greece and Rome, referred to as the the mysteries of Eleusis, or Dionysus, or Bacchus. All of these pantheistic religions at their base were the same and were traceable to ancient Babylon at the time of Nimrod. Page 74, he says, All the ancient mysteries, for example, had an occult priesthood which ruled the country 
or empire in association with an appointed priest king. In order to enter the priesthood, one always had to go through a series of secret occult rituals and initiations. When an initiate reached a high level or inner circle of the priesthood, the secret doctrine was revealed. It always included the worship of Lucifer, or more frequently referred to as the mysteries of the god of Hades or the god of the underworld, or usually symbolized by a serpent or a dragon. In the mysteries, there was a technique that was used to achieve altered states of consciousness that allowed the hierarchy to communicate their plans to human beings. These techniques were revealed only to the most initiated inner core group. Kahn continues, he says, The techniques for achieving these states were once the deepest, best-kept secrets of high priests. Later, they would be kept alive and carried forward by secret societies. Within the past generation, however, the same techniques or variations of these techniques have made it into the mainstream of Western society. The demonic spirits with whom these priests communicated become the gods and goddesses of the mystery religions. Traditionally, the Theosophical Society has been at the forefront of the movement, playing an important role in conditioning humanity to accept the New World Order. The organization has produced many of the widely read occult classics, such as The Destiny of the Nations, The Reappearance of the Christ, Discipleship of the New Age, The Secret Doctor, written by the Society's founder, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Throughout history of the secret societies, they perpetuate these ideas in a two-doctrine policy where you have the outer doctrines for the masses and the inner core doctrines for the adepts. And so outwardly, the doctrine that is taught to the masses is the universal god of pantheism. Since the New Age movement is the religion of the New World Order and the outward doctrine is pantheism, well, we know they have a secret doctrine. So the question becomes, what is that secret doctrine? Well, before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic, but follow us on all of our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and like our videos. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the iconic podcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also go to the iconic and purchase a hat, a hoodie or a t-shirt. So let's get back to it. What is the secret doctrine? Well, the secret doctrine is the worship of Lucifer and the system that is being built is a new world order for the betterment of a society is actually the building and bringing about Lucifer's kingdom here on earth. Again, let's remember what he says on page 74, where he says, all of the ancient mysteries, for example, had an occult priesthood which ruled the country or an empire in association with an appointed priest king. In order to enter the priesthood, one always had to go through a series of secret occult rituals and initiations. When the initiate reached the highest level or the inner circle of the priesthood, the secret doctrine was revealed. It always included the worship of Lucifer, more frequently referred to as the mystery of the god of Hades or the god of the underworld, and usually symbolized by the serpent or dragon. On page 76 of the secret doctrine, Blavatsky referred to Lucifer states, It, Satan, is the angel who was proud enough to believe himself God, brave enough to buy his independence at the price of eternal suffering and torture, beautiful enough to have adorned himself in full divine light, strong enough to still reign in darkness amidst agony, and to have made himself a throne out of the inextinguishable pyre, the prince of anarchy, served by a hierarchy of pure spirits. Notice then that there's a mention of the hierarchy again, these hierarchies of pure spirits. As above, so below. Blavatsky is not alone in her revealing that the inner core secret doctrine of the mysteries is Luciferianism. As Manly P. Hall says in The Lost Keys of Freemasonry in the Secret of Harem Abiff, page 48, 
When the Master Mason learns the key to the warrior on the block is the proper application of the dynamo of power, he has learned the mystery of his craft. The seething energies of Lucifer are in his hands, and before he can step onward and upward, he must prove his ability to properly apply energy. Back to En Route to Global Occupation by Gary H. Cobb, page 77, he says, Her, speaking of Blavatsky, position was again confirmed when she decided to publish a magazine entitled Lucifer, which was in circulation for a short time before succumbing to public pressure and shutting down for press for the purpose of printing and distributing the society's literature. This was around 1920. Due to the public outrage, however, the name was soon changed to Lucius Press, LTD, until a couple of years ago, Lucius Trust, the parent organization, was appropriately headquartered at 666 United Nations Plaza in New York. It has over 6,000 members and is among the many foundations sponsoring the One World Movement. A number of the most powerful New Age organizations, such as Lucius Trust and World Union, are well connected with the One World political societies and feed directly into the World Constitution and Parliament Association, the organization charged with the task of actually bringing the New World Order into fruition. The World Constitution and Parliament Association, or the WCPA, was founded in 1959 in Lakewood, Colorado, near Denver. The main lure behind the organization's establishment and development has been Philip Isley, who, since 1966, has served as the WCPA's Secretary General. On page 78, at the third session held in 1987, a provisional World Presidium, a standing executive committee in a communist country, a world cabinet were appointed to serve as the equivalent of an executive branch for the emerging world government. In addition to these activities, the WCPA has found time to oversee the drafting of a world constitution and lobbying to get this constitution ratified by national parliaments and governments, many of which are already dominated or strongly influenced by members of these same groups. The final ratification campaign was officially launched in the spring of 1991 at the meeting of the World Constituent Assembly in Portugal. Further down, the WCPA's plan, which includes a 10-region world government, has been taken straight out of the Club of Rome's handbook. For example, among the WCPA's plans is a proposal for calling for a new international monetary system, referred to as the New World Economic Order, the exact wording used by the Club of Rome to describe the same. The WCPA is also using the environment as the chief argument for why a world government is required, similar to the Club of Rome's strategies and proposals. On page 64, he says, Only America, with its vast resources, was capable of putting the final pieces for a global system into place. It was the New York-based international banks and American computer companies who made this automation and centralization of global banking possible. And it was our telecommunications companies who built the satellites needed to enforce a system of global government. Only America was capable of producing the economic wealth necessary for a super capitalist to buy up the world. Many countries and foreign merchants have become rich off the enormous wealth of the United States, becoming loyal allies of the establishment that made this possible. As a result, this wealth, English has become the world's business language, and the U.S. dollar is the closest thing to a world currency. As Christopher Hyatt puts it in his book, Undoing Yourself, with Energized Meditation, page 86, he says, The new age will require a new man, 
men of higher consciousness and fortitude, all of our present dogma models will crumble before the vision of an immortal man who stands at the threshold. Those who would survive can only do so by grasping the vision of what lies ahead and beginning now to prepare to ride the crest of a new wave that will carry them into an interesting future. But nature will no longer tolerate a rigid dragging foot. And the first step is to begin to undo yourself now. On page 307 he says, it seems as if every second become more and more sacred as we move closer and closer to the well-planned for and long-awaited invocation of the prime minister unto the very king of hell, the grand vicar of Lord Lucifer, Lucifuge Rufacol. For this new coming consciousness, we have to understand what the elite think about this sort of thing. In her book, Education in the New Age, Alice A. Bailey says on page 111, she says, to many of you, for instance, the World War was a supreme disaster, an agony to be adverted in the future at any cost, a dire and dreadful happening indicative of the wickedness of man and the incredible blind indifference of God. To us on the inner side, the World Wars were in the nature of a major surgical operation made in an effort to save the patient's life. A violent streptococcal germ and infection had menaced the life of humanity, speaking in symbols, and an operation was made in order to prolong opportunity to save life, not to save the form. This operation was largely successful. The germ, to be sure, is not eradicated and makes its presence felt in infected areas in the body of humanity. Page 112, she says, Another surgical operation may be necessary, not in order to destroy and end the present civilization, but in order to dissipate the infection and get rid of the fever. Let us never forget that a form proves inadequate or too diseased or too crippled for the expression of that purpose. It is from the point of view of the hierarchy, no disaster when that form has to go. Death is not a disaster to be feared. The work of the destroyer is not really cruel or undesirable. I say this to you who am myself upon the ray of love and knowing its meaning. Therefore, there is much destruction permitted by the custodians of the plan and much evil turned into good because the end is seen from the beginning and the consciousness is ripe enough and experienced to relinquish the form because of the sense benefits to be gained. This is true of individuals, of nations, and of races. Sounds like she's in favor of not only world wars, but also destroying the weaker vessels among us. This sounds a lot like Aleister Crowley and what he says in his book, The Book of the Law, page 7. We have nothing with the outcasts and with the unfit. Let them die in their misery, for they feel not. Compassion is the vice of kings. Step down the wretched and the weak. This is the law of the strong. This is our law and the joy of the world. He also says this in the book of magic and theory and practice. He says in page 54, there is a magical operation of maximum importance, the initiation of a new aeon. When it becomes necessary to utter a word, the whole planet must be bathed in blood. Before man is ready to accept the law of Telema, the great war must be fought. This bloody sacrifice is the critical point of the world ceremony and proclamation of Horus the crowned and conquering child, a lord of the Aeon. When you understand what Crowley is saying, well, he's right. Sun worship is the predominant worship on the earth in all of its various forms. Worship of the sun is satanic and Satan wants his pound of flesh. So how is he going to get it? By deceiving the entire world by stealth and secrecy through peace and politics, uniting the entire world 
under his dominion via a perceived ancient occult knowledge passed down by the adepts and sages, preserved by an ancient occult priesthood who used the knowledge to select the next king who rules over an initiated body or members of a new enlightened society who work together to bring about a new world order, currently uniting the nations together under the banner of the United Nations, which is the reconstituted Tower of Babel to make a name for themselves, an effigy to their god Lucifer. But this is only a fraction, a tiny piece of the entire story.